A quick note about our conversation today, we do use some adult language, so if you have little ones nearby, now's a great time to throw in your AirPods or listen at another time when you can enjoy it yourself. Welcome to Reprogramming with Lindsay Hyatt. I'm Lindsay, a brand strategist, copywriter, and pivot mentor with nearly two decades of experience. I've seen it all in both the corporate world and in entrepreneurship, and I'm here to spark conversation about the things that matter most. Reprogramming is a podcast to help you shift perspective, consider new viewpoints, and challenge your old belief systems around business, entrepreneurship, health, wellness, parenting, empowerment, and more. If you are ready to reprogram your life for more success, fulfillment, and joy, or if you're ready to blow up the status quo, you are in the right place. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reprogramming. I'm your host, Lindsay Hyatt. In business, there are two sure things, taxes and the opportunity to evolve and grow. If you are a smart one, You will learn to handle both with grace and openness, but often we find ourselves getting caught in that stagnant place, the place where we feel and know that something may need to change in our business, but we aren't sure how to get there or if we even have the stuff it takes to make it happen. So many of our listeners are in the creative space, and if that's you, you may know exactly what I mean. Maybe you are a copywriter with aspirations to get more into marketing strategy or you're a designer interested in becoming an art director. It can be hard to make that leap from one to another, especially in our minds. So today's guest has done just that. And with it, I'm guessing also likely has had to do some reprogramming work (laughs) from transitioning from one chapter to the next. And I can't wait to hear about it. Hillary Weiss. Presswood is a creative director, positioning coach, and founder of Statement Peace Studio at HillaryWeiss.com. She's also the co-host of a cult favorite YouTube marketing talk show, Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites, and has had her work featured on Business Insider, The Next Web, The Observer, and more. Since 2011, she's helped thousands of brands all over the world get seen and heard and make serious cash through her one-on-one client work, writing, coaching, and videos. And nowadays, she's on a mission to help more small businesses define their statement piece, aka the bold point of view that makes them radically relevant to their perfect people, which is speaking my language. Hillary, I am so beyond excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. And uh, as we were talking about, top of the call, go Bills. Go Bills. Okay, so that <laughs> is my first question. I know the people really care about this, but I need to know. I need to know your connection to our beloved Buffalo Bills. Oh. Tell me, how how did you come to be a fan? I So there's hilariously, if anybody, um, if you check out on my Instagram, um, H, it's Adam H- H.C. Weiss on there. Um, there's like a highlight with like, <laughs> here's the bill story, but I'll give you the short version. Basically it's all my husband's fault. Um, so we, my husband's family's from Buffalo and as many families are from Buffalo, just like died in the wool from birth Buffalo Bills fan. His great grandmother was a Buffalo Bills fan and never missed a game. Oh yeah. my God. I love it. One of those family ties and we got together and I did not care at all about sports. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had never actually sat through a full football game and know what was going on. Like I didn't even know what a down was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got together with this guy and I knew he was the big football guy. And so I was like, okay, I'll like do my own thing on Sundays or whatever. It'll be fine. And it starts to dawn on you um, <laughs> as a partner of an actual like avid 
like passionate sports fan that like, oh, this this is a big chunk out of the year. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> like having an emotional yeah. impact on your mental health. Okay. Like what? Because I remember I was so dismissive. I was like, football is just a bunch of millionaires running into each other. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you so upset? I know. That's really true though. Harsh that's, but that's true. Harsh, harsh but true. <laughs> but I just remember being like, you don't know these people. You don't even play this sport. Have you ever played football? I did not get it. And so as time went on, I, it, the first thing I did was I was like, okay, wait, I think he's not being just dramatic. I think he's mm-hmm. actually like a thing. <laughs> um, so I, I let go of the idea that my partner was being dramatic, um, which is a healthy. And so the first year I just like, didn't really care. I would just sit next to him on my phone on games. And then the next year I was like, maybe a little bit like poking my eyes up, but then mostly I'm just like scrolling Instagram. Uh, and then the, I think it was like our third year watching together. Um, it was one of the years Tyrod Taylor was a QB. It was a couple years before the drought where I was like, okay, I think I can get into this football thing, but I'm going to need you to explain everything to me. And you cannot make fun of me for asking stupid questions. And he was like, deal. Okay. Oh, so I just started getting in the side door. Cause I got into it via like the gossip and the fashion. That's what like, I mean. There could, there should be a hard knocks for each team every week. I, I, I so agree. I so agree. I, and that's, I got through it in the hard knocks. We were also watching last chance you at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like football culture is wild. It's sort of like, it was something that had always just kind of gone past me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was football culture is bananas. Um, it's sort of like video game culture. Like, I don't know anything about it, but like, there's this huge thing going on over here that I'm just, nope, I don't know the language (laughs) or anything. Um, and so slowly, slowly I started just really getting into it. And then we broke the drought, which was huge. And which I'm like, my, like, why is, why are we, why am I crying? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And then of course we drafted Josh Allen and it's just, it's so much fun to celebrate that we've gone up to Buffalo for games and stuff. It's just, it's really fun. Um, and I just love the city of Buffalo. And yeah. people, I got some, and I got some great bills, lady friends. Now I got to add you. I'm like, I got to start. Oh my a- God. Yes. Yeah. So I, I talk about them. I have friends who are not football fans who are Buffalo bills. Fans. <laughs> <laughs> I love the support. Exactly. Right. The more the merrier in Bills. Mafia. I, I got to props you for being in it before we even got to the playoffs. Like that's a big deal. That's, Thank you. That's, I commend you for that. And I think your husband's cool for, for bringing you on board. And I'd be honored to be in your Buffalo Bills gals club. And we got to have, we got to get the group chat pop in. We, uh, but yeah, I, I, it's funny. He was like, you've been through the true, like you're not a fair weather Bills fan. That's right. <laughs> and then also we went to the first game back in 2021 against the Steelers that we totally oh. laid it so it was like you've also experienced a devastating loss oh. of the stadium you're a true Bills fan you've now been through it all welcome this initiation is brutal but the food's <laughs> great and the people are awesome so no complaints well that's awesome okay so we have a, we now know your Bills background so that's established why don't you tell us a little bit more just about yourself and where you're from and how you became a positioning coach and a creative director Absolutely. So that's obviously a very long, another very long story that I'll condense. Um, so I, for many years, I would say I'm in Brooklyn, New York, um, but I just moved out a couple of months ago. I was in New York City for 12 years. We are now in New Jersey. So that's embarrassing. But <laughs> my life is solved. But no, I'm just kidding. We love it here. We're in Jersey City, which is basically like the additional borough. Um, but I have been in the online creative space since 2011. So we're going on 12 years now. I think that's how math works. Mm-hmm. But I always make the joke that every year in online business is like dog's years. So I've actually been in business about 84 years. And I work, <laughs> 72. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
Um, but I actually got my start in the space as a copywriter and I got my start in the coaching, creative lifestyle, personal development sphere. Um, that's really where I cut my teeth. And when I started in the industry, it was very much like the, even more of the wild west Mm -hmm. than it is now, if you can possibly believe it. Um, and that was an era before you could throw a stone and hit like a six steps to six figures in copywriting class. And I was (laughs) super young. I was 21, 22. And I really had to find my own way through because there was no, I had never met a successful freelancer. I didn't even know what copywriting was until a friend forwarded me a copywriter's website literally randomly one day. And she was like, I feel like you could totally do this. So it was very scrappy, very ground up. Um, But I was in that sphere for about 10 years. Um, And then I want to say about three years before I fully transitioned, I got the idea in my head that I wanted to do something bigger because copywriters creatives generally especially when we are in the uh the sphere of giving form to sort of taking things from the abstract and giving them form and shape you know it's like mm-hmm. okay give me your word vomit and i'm going to turn it into something <laughs> to make money on the internet yeah i used to have my tagline i type words into the internet and money comes out <laughs> i love it one of my finer moments i would say i love <laughs> gotta love that simplicity um but the big challenge for me then was like a lot of copywriters and a lot of creatives, I ended up filling a lot of strategic gaps for clients just so I would be able to do my job Mm. because people would come to me at various levels of readiness before I learned how to kind of fine tune who I was talking to, especially in the first few years. And so I would get these people who were like, I don't actually know who my audience is. What? And I would have to go through that exercise or like, oh, I might offer this. I haven't actually sold anything yet, but it's X, Y, Z. I have to go take them through that exercise. I um, have to think about what are your differentiators? What's your USP? All of these things that you are technically supposed to come to a copywriter with because there were no rules of engagement and there still kind of aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, because there were no rules of engagement, people just showed up and I had to fill in the blanks. And so again, as I mentioned, this happens to a lot of creatives where they're like, oh, actually I've been giving away a ton of strategy for free. And this is actually the mm-hmm. expensive part. Like this is actually the high skill thing. So about three years before I fully transitioned, I started poking around thinking about, okay, well, I need to be charging for the strategy. What do I want that to look like? Um, I want to try, I I liked, I know it's in some, in some pockets of the industry, kind of a dirty word, but I loved coaching. Um, mm-hmm. I loved working with people on their creativity at the time. I had been speaking and teaching and doing workshops um, just sort of for clients, communities and stuff, both live and virtual. And so I'd really gotten a feel for sort of where I wanted to land and what I wanted to teach. And I realized that creative direction was sort of the next step where I wanted to go. So basically being the big kahuna who directs everything, not just like what the, not just the strategy, not just the copy, not just the design, but how everything works together, which was interesting because I don't have a design background. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that later, I'm sure. Um, The photo shoot, all of that. And so it started a a process that took probably about three years uh, to fully transition. So I committed to test driving some of my coaching offerings um, just on beta clients. I took a creative director training, uh, which was super useful. I ended up doing a bunch of practice um, projects with clients and all of that, really just getting my sea legs, assisting on photo shoots, then directing my own and testing some of my theories on myself. So it took about three years, but hilariously, and I, I like to tell this part of the story because I do think it's important. I set all these beautiful dominoes up in front of myself to be able to transition into copy from copywriting into creative direction to make a clean break. Cause when I jump, I don't like to have, I don't like straddling things forever. I will straddle things as long as I have to, but when it's behind me, it's gotta stay behind me. And so I had set up all these beautiful demos to fall 
in March of 2020. Oh. Uh-huh. Like I literally done the photo shoot for <laughs> the transition right before the world shut down. Mm. And so I was like, oh no, there's no way I can possibly make this change now. I'm stuck. And I lasted, I think, two more months um, in the copywriting world, mm. just like trying to do both. Um, and eventually I fully transitioned into uh, creative direction in July of 2020, just because I was like, I'm so resentful. I'm so angry. I don't want to be writing this copy anymore. I don't care. Damn. As my husband would say, damn the torpedoes, like, let's just go and give it a shot. And mercifully it, it God bless really worked out. Yeah. Um, so now kind of what I do is twofold. So I do what I would call positioning, uh, positioning, coaching and positioning consulting. And this is really a concept, like concept-based positioning work for personal brands, um, which is basically like, what is the big idea? Mm-hmm. that we can give verbal and visual form to that's like the North star for the brand as a whole. And then of course my creative direction, which is the next step up. So we develop the positioning concept, the brand concept, and then we do the brand strategy. We do the visual direction, colors, fonts. I direct photo shoots. I oversee site design and development for certain categories of clients who are in for that. And yeah, so that's sort of where we've ended up now. It's fun because for my positioning work, I spend a lot of time with fellow creatives, a lot of people who are pivoting, a lot of people who are transitioning um, into sort of like, I wouldn't say grunt work and to strategy so much, but like there's something going on and the ship needs to change. And if you update your positioning, you don't have to do the whole rebrand right away. You can test that out and kind of get your sea legs. Whereas people for creative direction, they're like, I'm ready to graduate. Like, let's go. I'm ready to run with the big dogs or they're already big dogs and the branding needs to match. And it's such a joy. And right now that it's pretty much an even split between my positioning work and my creative direction work. And I could not be happy. Wow. That's incredible. I, oh God, I could pick your brain all day on this. Okay. <laughs> There's like so many questions that I have. Okay. So first of all, do we, we'll, we'll get more into this later too, but like, it sounds so amazing to be the captain of a ship and like be like guiding it into the Harbor for somebody. Did you, when, especially when you're getting your start, did you ever feel overwhelmed by all of the pieces? Like you mentioned, you don't have a design background or, you know, how, how do you even begin to educate yourself or feel comfortable doing these things? It's, it's, a, it's twofold. One, I, I have conversations, with, especially with copywriters who want to transition all the time because nobody really has ever, I was, def- I'm, I seem to be the only copywriter anybody knows who's made <laughs> like, oh my God, really? Um, so for me, it was testing, testing, testing on myself first. Like you are your first greatest, uh, you are your first greatest. <laughs> For some reason, I want to say testable, but that is not <laughs> the word. I'm, I guess lab rat. You're your yeah. own guinea pig. That's it. Guinea pig, guinea pig. Cuter too. Durable. Oh no. Durable. Well, the guinea pig is the cute one. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, that's a good qualifier. So you're your own test durable. I've always <laughs> Um, but no, you want to be your own experiment first. If you even think you want to do this, because a big part of the job is being able to communicate the vision to somebody Mm -hmm. who can then execute it for you and do it clearly enough that there's a very small margin of error. This is actually a really, this is a point in favor of copywriters transitioning because generally we're pretty good at explaining our ideas because that's part of the job. Right. Um, But for me, I actually also took it in stages for a while. I didn't actually like, I did the colors and fonts based on my own taste level and based what I knew on what I knew work and sort of what I'd studied and exposed myself to. But it wasn't until later that I started overseeing that I felt confident enough to oversee site design and development as well. But I would say like being the captain of the ship, it has its perks. It's wonderful to see a creative vision 
all the way through. And if you're passionate about that, there's no better seat for you to be in. But also you're the captain of the ship. So you are accountable if things go wrong. Like everybody's looking to you for questions. Like if anybody's setting a boundary, guess who it gets bumped up to? It's you. Like you're the one that has to come fill in the blank. So it's been a really wonderful experience. And of course there's a learning curve, but this is also, I think, just the nature of transition in general. Creatives, especially when we become comfortable. Cause I think for me, I was in copywriting for so many years. I was known, I never really had to market myself. I had a lot of brand equity, a lot of respect. I spoke, I taught, I could do it in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would I want to leave? You know, like, right. oh, is this selfish of me? And that held me back for a really long time. Um, the answer is no, it was not selfish of me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just gotta grow up and graduate and do something else. Sometimes our brain just wants to do more fun things. But I think creatives sometimes will just put themselves on the back burner because they're so scared of being overwhelmed and being out of their depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think I was like, there's just, I'm going to hit a point. Like there is, I am going to be out of my depth at some point, And that's when I figure out how well I can swim. But that's a, that's a feature, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a bug. So mm-hmm. I found when I approached it with that level of readiness, you know, obviously we're doing everything we can not to get totally sucked into the void. Um, but the goal is not to avoid doing so per- do everything so perfectly that you will always avoid being overwhelmed and feeling out of your debt because that's just impossible. Um, so seeing it as sort of a feature, not a bug, and just knowing that you can trust your instincts to make the right decision from there, like that's where the true test is. Um, and there's something of a thrill about it if you're a bit of a masochist mm-hmm. like me, but not a masochist. <laughs> uh, I relate to this so much because um, I guess I am a bit of a masochist like you. Um, and and you're, exactly what you said, uh, so many creatives, especially copywriters that I know in in my circles and even myself, like we get in our own way so much thinking like, oh, I don't know, like this has been working and this is making me yeah. money. So do I really want to mess with that? And you know, being able to make that leap and just kind of like figure in some ways, figure it out as you go. I think there's just like such a power in that. Yeah. So, so I appreciate you sharing that. Okay. So I want to know more about the statement piece. Yes. And how does one identify that? Mm. Oh, you got to pay for that. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) You have to tell me all the secrets. You need like a little bit more of an idea of like, what that means. Absolutely. I'm just pulling your leg. So I would say <laughs> okay, like, girl. the fine statement piece now is basically like what I call the concept that we develop. So the reason why I came up with this idea is I was in a brand class, um, Sarah Ashman's mastermind brand a hundred million years ago. Like this was like 2017 or something. Um, and she had a great question, which was what is something that you can always be relied on to do in real life when you're seeing friends, when you're like out going to brunch with your friends, when you're like going over to the housewarming party, when like someone calls you up, what can they always expect from you? And for me, is that among other fabulous things that I'm always wearing a statement piece of clothing or jewelry uh, with me just because, I mean, look, I'm literally wearing a shirt that says maximalism right now. (laughs) Um, But I just like, I've always liked that. I've always been that way. And I was like, well, why? And it is because I like, what I am wearing or, you know, on my, in my makeup and my clothes, I like the way I am dressed and kitted out to reflect who I am uh, before I have to say a word, because it will bring the right people up to me to talk to me and have a conversation and it will tell the wrong people and it will tell the wrong people to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a, you know, how poison, not that I'm a poison frog, but you know, how poison frogs are really colorful. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, beautiful. Stay away. Yeah. Or like the fun animals who like can party with it are like, heck yeah. So they jump 
uh, they jump and join in. But the, so the reason I, I called it a statement piece brand or like a statement piece studio, why we specialize, I would say in statement pieces is we develop these brands that take all of these essential ideas. So obviously who your audience is, mission, vision, values, uh, who you are as a human being, the way you like to show up, the truth you like to tell, the stuff you offer, the experience, the vibe of you, all of these things mm -hmm. that feel, some of them are tangible, some of them are intangible, but our job is to take all of those disparate threads and turn them into what we call a statement piece brand, which is a brand that somebody noses you from 50 paces. Mm -hmm. You know, they there's no better feeling than having somebody out in the world, a stranger, take a picture of something they see because it's in your brand colors. Yeah. Or it's, it's like something you talk about a lot and they want to send right. it because the message has been sinking in. Um, and so I think that that, that is what I mean by statement piece. Your brand should operate the same way a statement piece of clothing or jewelry does. It needs to work to attract the right people to you and repel the wrong people and share a little bit about you, your story, your attitude, all of those things before you have to say a word. So that's why we call it the statement piece brand. That is beautifully put, beautifully put, sums it all up. Okay. Now we all really want to live vicariously through you. And we just <laughs> would love to hear just like a sampling day in the life of a creative director. Like maybe this is somebody you've worked with recently, or just like an example of some things you've done. What does it look like? It look it, God, every day is so different. Um, I would say most of, I mean, a lot of my job is just being on calls. You're seeing it right now. Yeah. It's a lot of calls <laughs> like this one. It's a lot of spreadsheets. You know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of emails, a lot of admin work. And I have a team for that who are fabulous, but I would say my, like, you want to think about a week in the life of a creative director more than a day. Okay. I'll exactly. tell you, so I have Mondays and Fridays usually are just for me because I got to create content. I got to reach out to people. I got to do fabulous interviews like these. <laughs> so, you know, no real external calls. I work with clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on a week when I have a shoot, I'm working with my coaching clients. We either have a one-on-one -on -one or a small group for the day. We have, um, I have emails that I'm keeping up with. We're sharing on social media, you know, just keeping the vibes going yeah. um, throughout the rest of the business. And when I'm leading up to a shoot, starting the Monday, I'm going to start knocking those dominoes down too in tandem with everything. So mm -hmm. I do these really big high production photo shoots. So we have a full shot list. We do it at a studio here. I've got a photographer, hair and makeup team. Um, we help style you. We pick props, all of these awesome things. And it's an eight hour shoot. There's multiple looks, multiple wardrobe, multiple hair and makeup, multiple concepts that are serving the bigger statement piece that we want to illustrate visually because obviously a photo shoot is the way to do that. Mm -hmm. So I will start by gathering all of my props together, going down my shot list, checking off, making sure there's nothing we need last minute. I'm organizing things. I'm checking in with the team. I'm checking in with my client. I'm making sure that the team, uh, like that we are prepared for edits, that we are prepared to move into the site design after the fact, just really making sure everything is set up. And then my favorite days are of course, photo shoot days where we'll roll in. Usually I'll get up at like six o'clock in the morning, you know, do my little workout, just get ready for the day and meditate, mm -hmm. <laughs> do whatever I got to do, eat breakfast. Um, and then we hop in the car and we go to the studio. My assistant usually comes with me and we load up these Uber XLs with props because I hilariously do not have a car. Oh my God. I'm a new worker. Oh yeah. So uh, these core unsuspecting, I have a wagon. I have like a props wagon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like all these, I have a table I usually bring and just all this big wow. stuff. I've rented cars before to do shoots because we, oh we just need a specific yeah studio. So I'm super creative with that, but you know, I'll buy a car someday, but in the meantime, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Thank God Uber. I'm not sure how I would do this without them. Big ups. 
Big um, This is not sponsored, yeah. but you know, we're open to it. Exactly right. <laughs> so we get there on the day. Uh, we usually get there. Call times around 9 a.m. for the client. So we get the client in the hair and makeup chair. They're getting pampered, feeling beautiful. And I go over step by step all the shots of the day with my photographer. So like, we're going to do this scene with these props and this scene here. You need the lighting to look like this. Okay. Just, we're going to need this backdrop, these colors. We're going to need to change this in post just so we have the game plan before we get going. Because there's nothing worse than being caught with your pants down on shoot Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. Like you do not want to actually be making decisions on the day. Mm -hmm. You want to be making shifts, but no big decisions. Um, So then Mm -hmm. we usually start shooting at 11 we'll usually take a break around 1 30 or 2 for lunch i make sure my clients have a healthy lunch because you don't want to be bloated by pizza on the day or like you know smear your hair and makeup <laughs> and then uh we wrap up usually around five because we also have to be totally cleaned up and out of there mm-hmm. uh, and then i either go with my client to a beautiful dinner or i come home and collapse mm-hmm. um i get the proofs from my photographer in the next few days and we select which ones we're going to be doing the big edits on and all of that so that and then on that Friday, usually if we especially if we shot on a Thursday, I am resting, I am chilling, I'm doing very minor things because it's a marathon. It's very, it's actually incredibly physical work to do this. Um, so I always have to make sure I package in a little bit of rest and restoration um at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds exhausting, exhausting, but so rewarding too. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like a, it's like a movie set. Like I've produced short films too. And it's same, all the same principles apply, except the picture's still. So it's a little simpler. Wow. That's so cool. All right. So making the jump from freelance copywriter to creative director is like a pretty big one. You said it took you yeah. about three years to make that happen. Yeah. So were there, I mean, were there specific steps along the way that you had to do to be able to get, I mean, you mentioned some of them already about just kind of testing on yourself. Um, but were there, was there something that like had to happen in that shift, whether logistically or like mindset wise from A to B? Oh, so many things needed to change. So I think a lot of copywriters do when you're in strategy or you just kind of like baby step it where it's like, okay, I do copywriting and now I'm going to do copywriting feedback on audits just to like get a feel for whether I actually have a grip on this. Oh, actually I'm better than I thought. Okay. We're doing messaging strategy now. So this is actually maybe not less work because strategy is oops, not actually, because this is the other thing. A lot of people think like when you move from deliverables into exclusively strategy, it's going to be less work. No, 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 no. Different work about this. I actually miss like, I, I love what I do now. I would never, I, if I have to go back to covering to feed my family, fine. But I'm not like, I got to get back there. But sometimes I do miss having the one thing on my plate be like going into my writing cave and doing it, you know, because right. when you are ma- ha- managing teams and all of this, and like, again, when you're the big kahuna direct, like steering the ship, there's just a lot more politics. There's a lot more people management that has to happen. Um, but for, anyway, sorry, that's an aside. So I started doing the little audits and feedback for people like copy coaching. Then I did messaging strategy for a while, which was fine, but I didn't love it. And I find a lot of people who jump, make that jump are like, Hmm, this is actually something else. So for me, I was laddering into, can I even handle top-down strategy? Like, am I able to do that? Do I have a grasp of this? And then, okay, I think I do. So if this is the case, what needs to happen next? So when I was in messaging strategy, I realized what I liked best was the concepting. Um, and this is something, so my mentor was, former mentor was Sarah Ashman. 
she had a creative direction certification training at the time. I don't know if she offers it anymore. So I jumped in for that less because I didn't have all the pieces, but more because I wanted to see what was a model to fit them together. Like mm-hmm. what, how, how sort of what steps, what does the process kind of look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a requirement for me personally. I didn't, I know a lot of people who will go into creative direction who don't need to do that or call themselves a creative director, like tomorrow, who cares? Um, which, hey, do your thing. But for me, I uh, I'm a pragmatist. I set up hurdles in front of myself. Like I cannot claim or call myself something just because I've been in the internet. So I'm sure it's the same for you. Like I've just been in the online space for a long time. I cannot call myself something until I feel I have earned that. So for me, I will set up a bunch of arbitrary hurdles. And the trick is to not set up too many. So I think it was mm-hmm. like I did the training course. I was doing, I was helping um, friends plan out their photo shoots for free before I did the certification, just because I was like, okay, I need to test. I was assisting on shoots. I had all these things that I knew I wanted to do, but I needed to get a few under my belt where there wasn't the pressure of, Mm. oh my God, somebody's waiting on me and has paid me a lot of money and I'm faking it till I make it right now. So for me, that was a lot of test clients, a lot of smaller jobs that I did for low cost or no cost just to get my sea legs. So I knew what I was talking about. Um, And also as a creative director, what was so important was to get my team in order because the, the team, you are only as good as the team you have behind you. And so for me too, it was a lot of working with people and sort of getting a feel for who fit where and like what kind of talent we needed. And that's something that can only happen really with any kind of sincerity while you're in the field. So for a while, I was just, again, really Jean-Claude Van Damming straddling these two worlds between copywriting and getting myself like trained up and ready. And even when I thought I was going to be ready, I I couldn't because the world (laughs) shut down. So all of this to say, you know, I had some, I set up some goals for myself. I achieved those goals, but eventually it's always going to come down to you deciding to make the scary jump either way. Um, You will not be able to perfect yourself into being unafraid for making a huge transition. And I think in some ways I was, it was like pathological. I was like, just gotta check all these boxes and then I'll feel, no, no. You gotta work on that confidence cultivation in yourself. I got some great coach and my coach was a woman by the name of Susan Hyatt at the time. It was wonderful. and was really just behind me. And the mindset shifts of course are like, you need to bump up your people management skills. You need to be okay with pushback. Mm -hmm. You need to be adaptable. Uh, you need to learn how to like compromise. You need to be a problem solver. Like there are layers of these uh, to all of this. And so for me, I think the biggest, I would say mindset shift for the transformation was one believing, as we talked about earlier, that like overwhelm is not a bug. It's a feature. There are just going to be points where you're like, I'm in open water by myself. Mm. And I'm going to figure this out because I figured everything else out. But like, here we are. Okay. It happened and I didn't die. You know, I didn't, I'm not drowning. I just got to figure out what the solution is. And the second one I think is worthiness, worthiness, worthiness. Um, And that is why I would set up all these obstacles in front of myself. Cause I was like, oh, I'll feel confident when I feel worthy. And in order to feel worthy, I must set, you know, knock down all these arbitrary dominoes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was also a practice in moving from like preparing for so long into like owning that category before I felt ready because you never feel ready not fully, you know? So those, I guess those would be the two biggest things mindset wise for the transformation. Yeah. 
I love that you brought about both of those things because I, first of all, I think it's refreshing that you're someone on the internet that doesn't want to call yourself a thing until you maybe like know a little bit about it. Um, <laughs> I know that's weird. a little <laughs> sticking. That's a sticky point for me that I also like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing. And, but the, there's also the other side, a very real issue. Uh, and we see creatives doing this all the time is setting up these obstacles. Like I won't be there until I do this. I need one more training. I need, I need all these things until I actually just do the damn thing. It's so like, like you said, being in those, in between those two spaces, it's like a fine line of finding like the right balance as you're going down this route. Yeah. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And, and I really also loved how just, it was almost very, um, step-by-step formulaic that you were kind of putting yourself in these new positions, like, uh, low risk, maybe situations and training and, uh, going as an assistant on a shoe and, and being just open to doing those things for yourself. I I think that we just think like, we have to be there. Like, I want to do this. Like, why am I not there yet? But you took three years. Did you struggle at all during that time thinking like this taking too long? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, I'm dying. Um, cause all, and also what's going to happen. And this was the issue for me too, is like, I saw people blowing past me, mm-hmm. like people who had not, were not putting in the work that I was yes. calling themselves a creative director, trying working to own this category. And like, what's happened to them all now? It's like, Oh, they you know they're on to the next, which is fine. Like, which is their journey and not mine, which is fine. Yeah. But I think it's the dis- the, the fine line of discipline. I think. And this is also where imposter syndrome comes in Mm. because sometimes your imposter syndrome is correct. Like, it's like, well, you're not. Nobody said that though. Just on occasion, very rare occasions, like once in a while, but when you are, when basically in one instance is, oh, I feel like a beginner and you are a beginner. (laughs) What's the point? Beyond that, no. It's a garbage thing, it's a garbage entity. But it is a trash can um, of an, of a human experience. But the, I would say like, oh my God, where was it? <laughs> we got to suck in the trash can. Of- <laughs> got to walk it back. But no, um, I think that there's, it is a fine discipline between humbling yourself enough to know that you do, like you need to be a beginner here um, versus the, discipline to say like I'm ready now it's time like those two things there the distance between them can be so long um and you can make it the issue is you can stretch it out as long as you want and it is a perfectionism issue Mm -hmm. um a lot of us who kind of get stuck it's what's that saying it's like my biggest fear for humanity is that the smart people have so many like um the the stupid people are so loud and confident and the smart people are so full of doubt oh yeah yeah it just takes a while for you to learn something and to put the pieces together and so humbling yourself enough to know like I'm a beginner I want to do this so I'm going to just start from the ground up um that was how I did my whole thing and I mean I think that's a gift of starting in my industry so young I had no illusions Mm. I was like I'm 21 years old (laughs) I'm not the smartest I'm not the most experienced in fact I'm the least experienced and probably the stupidest (laughs) like I'm not the most creative I'm not the most strategic blah 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 blah, but I will outwork every single Mm -hmm. and that was also not a great idea because then I burned myself (laughs) out many many times but that willingness to say, like, I have a mountain to climb and I'm going to climb it. Mm-hmm. Um, the big challenge is being willing to humble yourself enough to know when you are a beginner and you don't make a claim that you're not ready to back up yet. Um, but also, as I said, as we were talking about, like your imposter syndrome, because most of the time it is wrong. Most um, of the time, yes. 
stretch out that journey in between those two to infinity. Like you are never actually going to feel ready. And eventually you are going to have to make a painful call to say yes. Mm. Um, And there's no amount of preparation or pragmatism or training, or I'm just a baby in the world. That's going to, that's going to like stuff you up with enough confidence coins that you take the next step, like with no fear. But again, like it's, it's that discipline of knowing when to say when in terms of like training and humbling. And I will spend too long in that phase. That's a challenge of mine. That's part of my journey where I will be humble for too long. And people will be like, why the fuck aren't you charging enough for this? Talking about it's like, nobody knows you're doing X, Y, Z. Why doesn't, why don't more people know? And then I'm like, ah, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, and I, I get made fun of by my colleagues for being a snail. Like I move slowly mm-hmm. when I'm making big changes, but because when I'm done, I'm done. You know, I want to be able to fully commit to the next phase. So anyway, that's a, it's it's probably better for my therapist's office, but still (laughs) I think there is, that is a a question I get asked a lot. And the answer is there's no perfect science to it. Um, It doesn't need to take you three years to transition. It does not. Um, But I think there is such a value and a discipline to knowing when you are in training mode versus when you are ready to like hit the ground running, give yourself the title and do that final 10% required to really feel like you belong there. Yeah. So did you have any trouble when you were getting started? I don't know if this was probably after the March, 2020. So maybe not, not including those pandemic issues. Did you have trouble getting clients in your new role after making that switch? I, yes and no. So I had no problem getting test clients because I had actually been talking about this for a number, a long time. Um, and my people who were ready, they're like, fuck yeah. Like I trust you and I'm going to get this for cheap and be a test client. Hell yeah. I was like, wow, very enthusiastic about this. (laughs) Uh, But it was people I knew very well who I pitched to about it and like people who knew that I got it. And so I, I had no problem getting test clients. When I transitioned from copywriting, I had more positioning clients than I did copywriters because that was the, my positioning coaching was just like selling like hotcakes because a big part of the process. And this is why I created my positioning coaching to do what it does. um, The power position is the name of the program, uh, which is really fun. We have individuals and small groups go through it. And the challenge is basically like, let's redesign the spinal cord of the business. Like, let's just get your shit together. What is the vision, the big idea, the framework, the uh, offer suite, the message, how, how do we just get deliberate about all these and tie it up together to update your website, update your social so you can start talking, doing this thing, positioning yourself as a strategist, talking to a higher tier of client, whatever needs to happen. Um, but that was really easy because people had seen me do that so many times over the years. And I've been doing it for full time for about a year at that point. Um, but the creative direction was a little bit harder because I did not have the portfolio to show off. And so people would approach me. They're like, I hear you're doing this through the grapevine. But, you know, tell me about it. Yeah. Tell me more about it. So I'd show them like the test decks and stuff. And when you're at that new phase, you have to be honest. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going full time with this. We're so happy. Here's the process. Here's the price point. Like, here's what. And I, I started in creative direction, just delivering, doing the brand strategy and the concept and the like the color fonts, photo direction. And then I would give them a deck. And they could hand that mm. to the designer of their choice. They could hand that to the photographer of their choice in order to bring the brand over the finish line. That was kind of, it was just the strategy. Um, and so as time went on, I felt more and more confident adding, like, I will direct the photo shoot on the day of, I will oversee the site design and development. You know, I will keep an eye on your copy and all of that. So that, it was very much phased, very much phased. 
for me um and transition and then my reputation just things started getting pick it up the more people saw what was going on yeah I'm curious during that time when you were just doing the like the front end piece of it did you find your clients were having trouble getting to the finish line I was wondering if that factored into your role to like I okay I gotta like see this to the end of their process yeah this is yeah. so here's the thing I I if for any client listening everyone's gonna be like it was me like, <laughs> I hate any of my clients sites that were done by outsiders they're all beautiful mm. and in line with what we were talking about but for me, I just have a very particular eye for how I want to see things executed. Um, I have a very particular like sense of style and all mm-hmm. of this. And I also wanted to make sure it was functional. I wanted to make sure people were working with professionals. And so I was like, okay, I, I have some really great people on my roster who would murder these projects, just like really bring the house down. And so let me see if I can talk a client into letting me oversee. And mm-hmm. over time, yes, indeed. Um, so that it was less about like, oh no. And more about like, you know, I think I could do like, I want to see what happens when I have the reins all the way up until the end. And we've got a couple client sites. We only started, uh, offering that within the last year or so. We've got a couple of really awesome client sites launching well, later this year, which is going to be amazing. And we can't Oh, that's exciting. Okay. So were there any personal habits or belief systems or outside factors that you had to confront or reprogram on your journey? And you talked a little bit about that already, but the mindset Um, stuff. A million billion. I think, but I think it's really the big one is because starting so young, it's a blessing. So I, because I started so young, it's a blessing and a curse because you feel like the baby in the room all the time. You know, and in, when you have felt like the baby, even, even when you know your shit, even when you're leading projects, doing strategies, whatever, there's this little like, oh no. And this is again, the incorrect imposter syndrome. There's this like, oh no, they're going to, they're going to figure it out soon. Like your days are numbered, you know? And I think for me, the biggest challenge always in business, and this might sound kind of strange, but it is accepting the power that I have. Um, because I think for a lot of online creatives too, the reality is we're just sitting behind our desks, you know, alone in basements, in tiny offices, in mm-hmm. our homes, typing from keyboards, but we are alone. Like at the end of the day, I shut my laptop, I turn off my phone and it's just me and my husband and my cats. We're hanging mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, but for people to tell me, you know, that you have a following, you have like people who really respect you and are watching you, you say things, you recommend people, you lift people up, like the, it adds something to their experience. And it makes people see them a different way because of your influence. And I was like, okay, first of all, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm literally just some lady sitting on the couch. (laughs) And so that it's, I'll never get used to it. Like, I don't have a huge, I don't have no means by a huge audience. People are going to be like, wait a minute, what? Um, (laughs) And so it surprises me even more um, because I think the power that I have to direct the vision, because I think, especially as women, it's so easy to defer to everybody else. Like, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Because that's a little easier, you Mm -hmm. know, and, but it has to be me for this. And so it's really, I've really had to get comfortable making those split decisions, being in that place of power and just be like, we don't know what to do. Hillary, I'm going to be like, okay, it's going to have to be ABC. Let's go next has been really interesting for me because again, I started so young and I was in like, I'm a, I am baby mm-hmm. mode all the time where I was like, somebody knows better yeah. than me. They're more experienced than me. They know what to do. I'm just, it's an honor just to be nominated. I'm just happy. <laughs> you know, I think that was the biggest jump for me 
from uh, like uh, that. And I think it, there's always accepting the level of influence you can have on the internet, even with a small following is jarring. Mm. Uh, but those, I would say are the three biggest things. And what changed, especially recently, because I, I still struggle with that visibility piece a little bit is just saying like, okay, well, if this is the reality, what needs to happen? Like you have to be more discerning about what you talk about and who you prop up. Like you have to, like there's a certain standard for your work and when you deliver it and for your content, like there's going to be less of just like, ah, throw away. Right. You know, like, you need, the consistency needs to look a certain way. So I would say, I know that's a little all over the place, but those would be the biggest mindset shifts for me. I would yeah, say. I got excited when you talked about being empowered like that just made yeah. me feel like chills and stuff so Ooh, chills and stuff yeah <laughs> I like that more women need to we are I think there's very few of us that are like naturally enough to be like yeah I am the I am the captain here like I have the it power it's trained out of us so it early. is it yeah. is and so I love that every little decision you can make can get you closer to that where you feel that confidence to say even if you know, like, I don't really know the answer, but like, I'm going to freaking make a decision. Here. Exactly. Right. We'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And that is, we are so, and this is actually, you saw, did you see the Barbie movie? Oh, fucking loved it. Okay. So this is what, cause I don't think some people didn't understand the Barbie's desire to just like yeah. let her man call the shots. Like I thought I was actually really well done that yeah. part because it's like, oh my God. Yes. Like the more responsibility you take on in your life, career, relationship, yes. anything. Like, you're just like, I don't want to fucking do this. Anymore. Like I can, someone just, someone just decide for me. I need yeah. to go take a nap. I need to check yeah. out. You wanted this, you right. know, so you have to be, you have to be willing to stay and like learn how to balance your energy in those zones mm -hmm. too. And learn how to be, learn how to have the buck stop with you without getting so overwhelmed because you're making every decision. Cause that also means you need to be able to be wrong. You need to be able to be right as hell in retrospect. And you need to be able to be wrong. You know, and I think that's, that's also the big one too, because if you are somebody who just like, in a lot of my life, it can be my way to the highway, but I'm a good compromiser and a good collaborator now yeah. because I've had to learn it because like you can steamroll somebody in front of you telling you can't do it that way, but they might know better than you, but you have to decide whether they're trustworthy or not or whether, because sometimes you're going to ignore them and it's going to be great. Sometimes you're going to listen to them and it's going to be a disaster. So it's really it's, it's so tempting to be like, someone else make this decision for me. Okay, fine. But you have to consider every single step, especially as a creative director, because you're the one steering the ship at the end of the day, you're the one accountable for the ultimate outcome. Mm. And ultimately I think all of that is a place also where we really have to get more comfortable with the discomfort of being wrong, maybe, yeah. or figuring it like learning from something that maybe didn't go the way we hoped or 100%, yeah. any of that stuff. So yeah. Yeah, the, that's the ability to, to not beat yourself up too when yeah. you are correct or something goes wrong. Like it's you, you really delve into your own humanity pretty deep. The higher the the more people you are and the more things you are in charge of, I find. Mm -hmm. Um, where it's just like, oops, I because in one mistake is not just you anymore. Yeah, it tumbles down the mountain and yeah. it wrecks up a whole other <laughs> a whole bunch of other things, and then you're responsible. So I think it's learning how to be patient and loving with yourself, letting like sort of remembering that perfectionism is a lie, you know, learning that part of leadership is being able to be wrong and own your mistakes. And part of power is being able to say like, is, is to stop saying like, no, 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 it's not like that. 
and owning that. Yes, it is. Mm. And so if I'm in this position of power to do these things, what happens now? You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, you just answered my last question. So thank you. Thank you. Like so many great perspectives and on being a leader and and stepping into that role. So thank you. Okay. So people want to find you, obviously, where will they find you? What are you working on now? How can they connect with you? Absolutely. So you can find me either. Well, for now, Instagram should redirect you. So I'm Hillary Weiss Presswood on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You can find me at HCWeiss. That's the at symbol H-C-W-E-I-S-S. Weiss is my maiden name. Uh, I'm Hillary Weiss Presswood. So we're transitioning to HC Presswood pretty soon, I dare say. Uh, But not yet. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. Um, and if you are listening, I would love for you to just drop me a DM, come say, Hey, let me know if you were listening to the episode, if you loved it, if you hated it, if you have some questions, I'm an open book. I run my own socials. Um, and I would love to say hello. I don't bite. Um, also, if you want to check out more of my work, you can stop by hillarywhites.com. That's H I L L A R Y W E I S S.com. The old site's getting a facelift pretty soon. But I'm still over there. Every you can learn more about working with me. You can grab get your paws on my statement piece framework, which is my idea generation freebie. And generally, we have a big old blasty blast over there. So I would love to come see you. Come say hey. And Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. Oh, and this has been so amazing. Thank you for all these great questions because this oh my has God. allowed me to dive into some stuff I just haven't had a chance to before. So well. You seriously uh it's it's a dream for me so thank you for being here and and for closing the show so nicely <laughs> would you like to be my permanent co-host that'd be amazing probably any day of the week let's do it <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you of course thanks for joining me on this episode of reprogramming i hope you enjoyed it I would love if you shared this episode with your network and tagged me at ReprogrammingPod or at the Lindsay Hyatt on Instagram. If any episode has impacted you, it would mean the world if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. For more information on how to work together or to learn more about my signature program, Superfecta, visit lindsayhyatt.com or lindsayhyatt.co. See you next time.